Stuyvesant Town in the East Village, and I'm running for Congress in New York 12. And what have you done before running for Congress? Well, I've been down in the city for 14 years. I moved down here after college to not go to law school and write the great American novel, and that meant I was a bartender for about 10 years. But moving to Stuyvesant Town in 2009 is, is kind of when things changed for me. I moved in with uh, a number of other bartender friends in this four-bedroom apartment. We were market-rate tenants. It was kind of right after the Great Recession and Tishman Spire, who just bought the property, we're kind of going through some stuff. So we got a great deal. And then lo and behold, 10 months into our first year, we were part of this huge class action lawsuit, the Roberts case. And our rent overnight went down by $1,100. We got $3,300 back in escrow. We got this new lease and your rent stabilized. I had no idea what any of that meant. Uh, my like Catholic guilt kicked in because we'd been there for 10 months and my neighbor's like an original tenant. Um, so I actually, at that point, decided to get involved with the Tenants Association in Town, and I've been doing that ever since. But a few months after that, we got an eviction notice from our corporate overlord, landlords, and it was, you know, very suspect. They said we owed a ton of money, which didn't make any sense. We had 30 days to pay and get out, which didn't make any sense. But regardless of that, I still had to go down to housing court a number of times to fight these bogus evictions. I was privileged both in the sense of I bartended at night so I could blow a few hours waiting for my parents. Uh, we had the Tenants Association helping. My father was an attorney, so um, I kind of knew going into there that I could fight back, which I was able to, but housing court is a pretty dramatic experience. You see a lot of folks that frankly can't fight back. People don't show up. So that kind of changed everything for me, too. I'd been doing housing organizing in Town. I got my master's in urban planning um, at Columbia, focusing on alternative equity models and particularly at the federal level, figuring out what the federal government should be doing to protect against the housing crisis. And that, yeah, really like got me teaching at CUNY. I uh, started two startup companies, one's a tenant organizing app called Homebody, but it was really kind of Bernie in 2016 that I started to pay a little bit more attention to electoral politics. I was somebody very much involved with Occupy Wall Street, the movement for black lives, but had very little faith in electoral politics. And um, I'd studied Bernie in grad school up in Burlington, Vermont, the Community Land Trust that he'd started in the 80s. So I'd always been a fan of his, but he really, I think, made it into obviously an entire generation of people think that there's actually an inside strategy to fixing things. And I uh, did a lot of work on AOC's campaign in, um, in the Bronx and then Queens, and certainly her victory and the generation of organizers in New York that kind of came out of that very much proudly like a generation AOC person myself so yeah I mean I, I think for me running in New York 12 I've been on the ground I've got relationships from bartending from CUNY from the tenants movement from housing justice for all I've got policy experience at the national level with uh, data for progress and the senior housing advisor before running so just the fact that the housing crisis is the number one issue wherever you are in New York but certainly New York 12 I just I think it's kind of the time is now to have somebody advocating for cities and for housing at the federal level and I just I, I guess I think I'm the best person to do that. So you have an, a detail and extensive platform but transit is sort of the heart of it at least at this point. Talk about your transit plan. Yeah the plan is the freedom of movement in America. We are proud to be the first federal campaign to introduce a really frankly concrete and I, I actually think reasonable plan to make public transportation in this country 100% free, accessible, and green. 
and the plan itself is really designed to get cars off the road uh, both from an environmental standpoint from sort of a safety standpoint but I think the broader argument and the reason that I decided to call it the freedom of movement plan is very conscious to lean into this idea of what actually freedom means in America we had this kind of car obsessed culture in the 20th century getting out on the open road getting on the highway but you know, I, I don't think you are free in this country or in the city if you can't afford a bus ride to get to work, get to school. I don't think you're free if you can't walk down the stairs to get on the subway to go to a doctor's appointment. I don't think you're free if you're one flat tire or missed car payment from losing your car, triggering losing your job and losing your house. And that's the reality for a lot of people in New York City. It's a lot of people in America. So to me, this is a really larger conversation about what is freedom in America, particularly in the 21st century, and making public transportation free and making it easier to get around our cities is just the start of that conversation. But it's a really urgent one given the environmental crisis that we're facing, given the racial injustice and economic injustice we're facing in New York City. So it's a $1.7 trillion plan over a decade. And is that... T, with the T, yeah. The T, that's with the T. <laughs> um, and is that... It, about shore, will that be enough to shore up existing systems or is that about extending systems? Because your plan mentions that 84% of Americans live in cities, depending on how you define that. But according to the Census Bureau, only about 5% of workers regularly use public transit. So how do you reach those who aren't? Some of them might be convinced to abandon their cars, but some may not have any transit to use right now. Yeah, I mean, and the, the stats you pull out are, are great and things we talk about a lot, that the fact, and it's a messy definition of what is urban living in cities in the census, but the reality is most Americans live in some type of density, whether it's a New York City and subway driven, or it's a little bit more of a spread out car centric city but to me that the infrastructure is there to actually piece together a, a pretty simple rollout for both pr improving existing transit where it is dense in new york city or where there are bus systems in a place like houston for example so it's improving that existing accessibility and system coverage but it is about expanding it and i make it very clear I, you know this plan is not to punish car owners people that own cars and drive cars in New York City, let alone anywhere else, have not done anything wrong by doing so. I don't think something like a congestion pricing or a, like gas tax increase does anything but punish a car owner for something that they haven't done. So this plan is very conscious to create more of an opportunity that it's actually, you can get to work, you can get to school without needing a car, which frankly, for a lot of parts of the city, you can't do that right now. So incremental improvements to the bus systems uh, to reducing track lane, traffic lanes. These are things that right out of the gate pretty quickly um, can give people really solid options not to have to have a car, but it's it's not gonna work if we just punish people for having cars. And that's very much the, like I'm happy to be the anti-car candidate, like in the, the lefty urbanist, but very much so it's about getting people out of cars because they have better options. I, I just, I'm really worried about this congestion pricing coming in, allegedly coming in 21, because it's, a political minefield that no one is also saying let's improve the transit to make it easier for people whether they're commuters or people living in the city so yeah you've got to start in the basic meet people where they are and if you can't get to work without a car like that's our fault in public policy that's not your fault so you're one of i think now three democrats challenging the incumbent carolyn maloney uh in the 12th how do you assess her record on transit well, I, I think that's a really good case study of, of what I think my criticism is about Representative Maloney as a, sort of a corporate Democrat. There are 
you know, three phases of a corporate Democrat. There are some issues that she's really good on and, and really champions, the ERA being one that's in the news right now. The majority of issues, you sort of, if you're a corporate Democrat, you kind of, you're there superficially. You say, hey, I'm going to have this hearing on NYCHA funding, or I fought for funding for the, uh, the, the Second Avenue subway. You kind of superficially look like you're there. But in, in the really big things, we're talking corporate subsidies, empire, all of these things that were actually interconnected, making it harder to get funding for our subway systems. That's the stuff I think she's really bad on. And the Amazon headquarters, it's the one year anniversary of that today. She was very supportive of that. How do you really say you're fighting for your community? You're fighting for existing residents and infrastructure when you want to give public land and public money to Amazon to open up an office that has not made any actual concrete promises to improve the public good. They've talked about it, but they haven't actually put it on paper. So I think that's where the criticism really, if the rubber meets the road or the rail meets the, the, the wheel, maybe. But it's, it's clear that there's just been this status quo acceptance of, well, incrementalism, or at least the appearance of incrementalism is the most pragmatic way to go about change. And that's good enough to get reelected. But I think the fact that our city infrastructure is crumbling, our democracy is failing, and our planet is literally dying shows that that kind of mentality is not working. So we're transferring now at 125th as subway riders uh, frequently do. Um, so I guess a last question is, you win, you get elected, and you're a rookie, uh, rookie member of Congress, uh, one of uh, whatever it is, 435, right? Because the way you describe it, it sounds urgent, but you'll be a freshman. How do you go from being the new kid on the block to getting a $1.7 trillion plan, dollar plan uh, in the works? Yeah, that's a totally fair question. I mean, I, I think I have sort of two answers to that. One is, to some degree, if we fetishize experience, the kind of experience that got us into the Iraq war, that got Donald Trump into office and got him out, the impeachment scandal, um, then we're making a mistake about what the priorities are for our country. The second thing is, I'm one person of 435, and I'm not running because I think I'm a savior or I can just go in there and guns blazing and pass stuff. I think the advantage for me as a candidate, as a democratic socialist, is I'm used to building up coalitions, doing this sort of grinding work about getting buy-in, knocking on doors, going to community meetings, the boring work that it actually takes to get progress done. Uh, I think if I get in there, that's probably a larger sign that there's a bigger constituency for more radical change, which is going to help us have some leverage and some have um, some attention to get these ideas out there. I think historically the federal government has underinvested in cities from funding standpoints, but just politically. So I think there are other Democrats in dense, the 84% of Americans living in cities in some cases that want this type of opportunity that you can go to your constituents, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, and say, hey, we're going to make our streets safer. And it's not necessarily building subways in a place like Cleveland, Ohio, but it's like improving the sidewalks, improving busways. Um, these are things that are actually pretty incremental. It's very much a top, uh, bottom-up plan rather than a top-down plan. So the plan is fungible enough that if you're even a Republican in San Diego or something, you can come back to your constituents and say, the federal government wants to help make our streets safer, make our planet safer. This is something that we urgently need to do, and we have the opportunity to do that. 
like I think there's a lot of people in Congress on both sides of the aisle that recognize that this type of problem is there. The only thing that we're doing is just talking about it.